ಮಹಾಶ್ರೇಷ್ಠಿಪುತ್ರಿಂಗಿರಿ ರಾಜಿತ ಅಜೀಮುಕ್ತಕುಲೈರುಪಶ್ಯಾಮಿಪುರಸುಂದೀಪಿ ಸದಾ ಹೃದ ಖಂಡರೇಶ್ಪುರಸಿನಂದನಾಂಬಿತುಜೋಕಾವತಾಶಂಕೀರ್ತನೈಕಪಿತರೋಕಮಲಾಯತಕ್ಷುಶ್
I'm okay. That's okay. It's getting warmer. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, the cattail also helps to get it warmer and not colder. Let's pray for that. So, <clears throat> so today, officially speaking, we don't have any celebration. Officially speaking, in a formal level, there's no celebration, and on a substantial level. There's no interruption to that. There should be no interruption to the celebration. Since Harikata itself is, is a festival of, of words, a festival of attempting to describe the glories, the beauty, the qualities of Bhagavan. That's mentioned in the the Srimad Bhagavatam and Harikata describes as Navam, Navam Ruchiram, like always new, always providing a new taste. And at one point it speaks about Harikata's Mahotsa mm -hmm. as a festival in itself. Sometimes we hear about festivals which include Harikata, so to say, but actually Harikata in itself is a festival. Why? Because Harikata is topics about Hari. And Hari Krishna himself is himself is a festival. He's a festival of beauty. So his very existence is, as we say these days, a celebration. Leela means God's moving in celebration of his own existence. Such a beautiful notion of the divine. God is celebration himself. In one sense, Krishna is not celebrating, he is celebration. <laughs> His very existence is a festival. So we cannot separate the idea of festival and Krishna. So if Krishna is a festival, when we try to say something about that festival, that's a festival. So we don't need to organize a separate festival, but just trying to address the personified festival that Krishna is, that's festival. <laughs> so in that sense, we can live our life, daily life, every moment as part of a big celebration that is going on continuously without interruption. When we develop the, the proper eyes, the proper vision, we will understand this. Oh, we are part of an ongoing festival. Celebration does never stop, does never reach an end. It can always go on forever in higher and deeper ways. That's the, the invitation the, to participate in bhakti. <clears throat> so I'm clarifying that to, to make it clear that still we have festival, although officially, technically, formally, there's no festival. There is, there is always. <laughs> So as part of today's festival, then, <laughs> I'd like to share a few words today and tomorrow, which will be the last two days, for my case, of sharing here with you. Uh, I was thinking maybe showing a few words that somehow reflect back upon many of the topics we have been touching upon this last week. Uh, and somehow there are also main themes in my recent book. Uh, so I'd like to share a few words. Today I would like to speak about humanity and transcendence 
becoming one in lila which for me again is a very important point that i address in many chapters in my book humanity and transcendence or divinity if you will converging in the lila becoming one in lila integrating both of them coexisting together without any problem how understanding that properly will help us in our particular situation to also integrate our human experience and our spiritual um, ideals <clears throat> When I say becoming one in Lila, I will mostly emphasize this notion of Nara Lila, which is the Lila we want to participate in forever. The Nara Lila of Sri Krishna and Braj, the Nara Lila of Sri Gorsundar in Navadip, which is the highest Lila. This is mentioned in Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's a very beautiful verse. <clears throat> It says, Krishnaraya Thika Kela Sarvotama Nara Lila Nara Bapu Tanhara Swarup Nara Bapu Tanhara Swarup Gopa Vesha Venukara Navakishor Natavar Nara Lila Hai Anurup. So that's a beautiful verse by Krishna Daska Rashkoswami. He's saying, Krishnaraya Thika Kela. From all the lila, from all the lilas of Krishna, of Bhagavan, Sarvotama Nara Lila. Nara Lila is Sarvotama. Is the highest of all. Nara Lila, human play. So, literally speaking, Nara Lila means Nara means human. Lila, as we explain these days, means play, celebratory movement, and so on. So Krishna Raya Tikkakila Sarvotama Nara Lila Nara Bapu Tanhara Swarup. His human form, Nara Bapu, the Krishna's human form is Swarup, is his Swarup, is his ultimate identity. So here we are start to talk about Krishna's fully human and fully divine, of course. No, don't, don't miss one nor the other. <laughs> so Nara Lila means fully human, fully divine. And one is putting the other in context. So the first line of the verse is this. From all the Lilas of Bhagavan, his Nara Lila is the highest because he, in his human form, divine form, appears as he is. So I am Bhagavan. Krishna as he is. In one sense, the God designation. Yeah, Krishna is God. But that's mostly his, so to say, his work at the office, far away from home. Who he is at home, in the, in the intimacy of home, that's something else. Like if we speak about the, you know, the president of Switzerland. There is a president in Switzerland? or Seven. Seven. Okay. okay. For the purpose of my example, let's make one. <laughs> and that president, that person goes every day to the presidential house. I don't know if you call it like that here, whatever, the government house to perform the president functions. And everything is full of 
uh, formality, you know, bureaucracy. And the president comes and everyone is like, you have to sign here. Everything is very formal. Yeah, very too much. <laughs> Nobody will run and give him an embrace and say, how are you doing, my friend, today? And you know, like everything is like, but when the president goes back home, I like to give this example sometimes, probably his, you know, his grandson is waiting for him. The grandson is not thinking, the president of Switzerland is coming. So I have to be formal according to the etiquette. And he's just waiting for his grandpa, grandfather behind the door. And when he comes, he will jump on his head to scare him and surprise him. And then he will tell him, go to the floor and I want you to move like a snake. No. <laughs> to the president of Switzerland, imagine. Imagine if someone does that in the government house. With good luck, they will only lose their job. <laughs> but here is he's in another setting. He's in another stage. He's in another intimacy. So it's, there's place for that. There are the rules of the game. So the president of Switzerland will fall on the ground and will start to move as best as he can as a snake, which is pretty difficult. Try to put yourself like this and try to move like a snake. <laughs> the grandchildren will be on top of him and like, come on, move properly. The snake doesn't move like that. You are doing it wrong. He will start like to chastise the president and scold him and hit him on the back. Like, that's not like that. Do it properly. But the president is deriving so much bliss from that exchange. Way more bliss than the one he's tasting in the presidential house with all the hands shaking and all the pictures, all the false smiles, all the sign of papers, all that's like terribly boring. <laughs> but he's the same person. Well, presidential house at home. But the sense of self the president at home in that moment of intimacy, he's not feeling while trying to be a snake. I'm the president of Switzerland. He's not aware of that. He forgot about that. that moment. And the grandchild doesn't probably know about that. Even. <laughs> so this is similar to the idea of Krishna in Braj, Krishna at home, and as God, at the, as a cosmic administrator, so to say. So this verse, going back to the verse I'm talking about, is talking about his Naralila, where he's at home, where Krishna is barefoot. That shows intimacy. You won't show in the presidential house barefoot. <laughs> so the first line is saying this, no? again, the greatest of all Lilas is Krishna's fully human, fully divine Lila, because in that form, Krishna is his own self. God is another, is, a, is an upadi, is a designation on Krishna. <laughs> but Krishna as he is, so I am Bhagavan, that's what the Bhagavan say, Krishna is too Bhagavan, so I am, which means when God wants to be himself, that's what we call Krishna. Mm -hmm. He's God beyond God. He's still God, but there's something else apart from that. <laughs> For a generalist, God is the last conception, but we have the God beyond God. When God wants to be himself, how would you call that? We call it Krishna. Mm -hmm. And which is that Krishna? The second line says, uh, Gopavesh 
Venukar Navakishar Natavar Naralilhoyanuru. Gopavesh, he appears dressed as a Gopa. Gopavesh Venukar, he has flute in hand. Naral Gopavesh Venukar Navakishor, he's eternally young. Natavar, he's king of dancers. So that's that's the the person who worships us. And then Krishna Daskavidash concludes saying, Nara Lila or high Anuru. Oh, this Nara Lila is like too much. And he passes out. That's the end of the verse. Oh, this Nara Lila is like end of the verse, end of Krishna Daskavidash. He's, he's somewhere else now. <laughs> so this is a very interesting verse because, again, it's showing. The import the supremacy, the ultimacy of the Nara Lila. But if we take out the human element from the Nara Lila, then we don't have Nara Lila anymore. We cannot call it Nara Lila. Without the Nara element, Nara Lila wouldn't be the highest. Nara Lila is the highest because of this human ingredient, interestingly. Because if there will be no humanity in the Lila, there will be only divinity, Aishvarya, we will not have the experience of Madhurya. Madhurya doesn't only mean romantic love. Madhurya means intimacy, proximity, closeness. And that's what makes Krishna Lila so charming. The intimacy, the sweetness, the proximity, the humanness of the Lila. With the backdrop of Aishvarya, again, Aishvarya is there as we talk these days. The highest Aishvarya is there in Vrindavan. <laughs> but the highest Madhurya is there on top of that. The highest intimacy. And Arika has raised the hand for the last two hours. Sorry for that. Just to know what you mean by fully human. Because we often talk about it that Krishna isn't a human being at all. And then we talk he's human-like. Because not to think, yeah, he's a human being or something like that. And I just wanted to know what do you yeah. mean by just fully human? But they say that patience is the mother of all virtues. So please be patient. I'm planning to talk about that. I'm just starting the class. <laughs> the idea is to unfold. I'm just introducing the notion, but I'm planning to go to the idea of human life and all that. So if you wait for me a few minutes, can you wait? Sure? Okay, thank you. <laughs> the other day, there was one guest that came, one some from France with Udo, and it was funny because it was nice. At the end, she was telling me the last day she was about to leave. And I was a little concerned because I was, hmm, we are, there's some new, someone coming from the first time and we are talking about Gadadar Pandit and, and Shirad and Lalita and Bhamya Bhav and Man and my God. <laughs> it's too high for me just to be talking about that. Imagine someone coming for So I was like, I'm ruining the life of this person or something. I'm giving it too much on a, of an overdose. No, it may be like a strange impression of bhakti. Yeah, what's this? <laughs> but I was happy and relieved to know that before she was leaving, she approached me <clears throat> and she told me, and, and I immediately, she said, well, thank you so much for everything. And, and immediately I say, sorry for everything. <laughs> 
but she was no 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 it, besides some te technical terms and some ideas that probably were new for me I, I was able to i was very inspired and relieved when when you were speaking about all these emotional things that are going on in heaven so to say and how god himself also is experiencing there's turmoil she said he was the world turmoil <laughs> now, so that that helped me to make that world more relatable to me of course we are not saying it's the same thing and that i want to be clear about that it's not that it's like oh whatever they are experiencing is the same thing but at the same time is is similar enough so we can relate to that and we don't feel it's completely different from who i am now which is an important point because in another traditions the notion of transcendence will be the exact opposite of what we are experiencing here for example in advaita vedanta that will be basically the proposal in advaita vedanta or the monistic tradition they will say whatever you're experiencing is unreal is false and and, and, and like the conclusion is therefore if all this is false then reality must be the opposite of this so if, if here we have forms the ultimate reality must there must be no form if there's relationships here the ultimate reality there must be no relationship so then we have no near guna nirupa near everything no like devoid of form and qualities and personality and individuality and loving interaction with all respect to Sankaracharya, but personally, I'm not tempted to go in that direction. <laughs> so the idea of Nara Lila presents a more nuanced possibility, which is there will be formed relationships and so on and so forth, of course, but fully centered upon revolving around the center. But we can begin our participation in that ultimate realm of, of Nara Lila here and now. That's an important point. I mean, we will never enter Nara Lila if we are not starting to get closer to, to Nara Lila by the way we live our lives here and now. By the way we align more and more in how we conduct our life, our human existence in, in line with the divine existence. So and there is so much humanity in our lila again and i'm going to clarify Gandharika. give me a few more minutes please <laughs> when i'm speaking about humanity i'm not making a full parallel with humanity as we know it here but also it's important that we learn to accommodate this idea so when i say fully human fully divine probably for our mind is it's not possible if it's fully human it cannot be fully divine if it's fully divine it cannot be fully human but in transcendence, we have all these paradoxes perfectly integrated. Mm -hmm. So in Braj, for example, in our tradition, there is so much in the Nara Lila, there is in our goal, <laughs> there is so much humanity and transcendence. Don't forget the other part. But, but in one sense, it doesn't, it does not seem transcendental at all. If you look Braja Lila in a general way, it seems that sounds that seems ordinary that was brahmas as we talked yesterday 
like he saw Krishna with his friends in the picnic and he felt this cannot be, this is mundane. Of course, when you look at it closely, you realize this is super transcendental. No? Brahma eventually reached that conclusion. That's interesting because, for example, if we speak about Brahman, the all-pervading spiritual existence, that sounds so big, so all-pervading, overtly transcendental, so to say. But there is no much love. There's no experience. Of, there's no experience of love. Technically, there's no experience. <laughs> because for you to have an experience, you need something that is experienced and someone who is experiencing. But in Brahman, you don't have that differences. There's only Brahman that ex experience there, so to say. <laughs> so in Brahman, everything is very big, but there is no love and intimacy. Then you go to Vaikuntha, it seems a little smaller because there are forms <laughs> and there is some love. And then you go to Braj. Braj seems even smaller than Vaikuntha. But there's much way more love. So in that sense, there is more space. It's more spacious. All that seems smaller. If love is bigger, there's more place. Like if they say, if you live with your, if you are with your beloved in a cave, you have enough, enough space because there is love. But if I put you in the Sahara Desert and I say, this is all for you, look how much space. But there's no love. It's like, yeah, I, I want to run away from here. Okay, I'll put you in a cave with your beloved. Yeah, of course. There's so much space there because the heart is, is there. <clears throat> so again, that's the uniqueness of, of Braj, no? There's so much love and there's so much space. As we mentioned, there's even so much Ashwarya, but nobody even detects that because of the degree of affection. So <clears throat> this is our goal, which is Nara Lila. Nara Lila, as I mentioned, is fully human, fully divine. So go into uh, Gandharvika's question in connection to the term human-like, because... I'm, I'm sure some of you may be familiar with that expression, which was mostly shared by Srila Prabhupada, Bhaktivedanta Swami, human-like. But what does it mean, human-like? Uh, because we, we may think, okay, human-like means it's not actually human. It's human-like. So it's kind of an, an imitation of humanity, or it's like half-human, pseudo-human, quasi-human. At least personally, I, I don't feel it's like that. For me, human-like makes the opposite. Human-like. For me, human, the, this, these two words, human-like. For me, the word human means fully human. And the word like means fully divine. In that sense, it's human-like. You may have a difference of opinion with me, Gandharvika, no problem. We can... No, I just take like, here the words you are using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing it now gradually. I have to create some suspense also in my presentation. <laughs> we cannot clarify everything from the first minute. It's important also to coexist with mystery a little bit also. 
So human like means this, hmm? according to my inspiration, so to say, but also based on what Shastra saying. It's not human like a, a Krishna is not actually human. No? He's only divine. No, he's fully human and he's fully divine. And again, I know that this is a problem for our mind, which cannot conceive the two things happening at the same time. So for me, human like the like has to do with his fully divine life. And human is his fully human at the same time. And that's a big challenge for us, I will say, and I include myself in the equation because sometimes a big challenge for us not only is to understand this, but is for us to be fully human. Sometimes it's it's easier for us to try to be fully transcendental. <laughs> but trying to be fully human sometimes is more difficult for us. Mm -hmm. Trying to embrace the fullness of our humanity in the context of the spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. As the saying says, we are not human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings trying to have a human experience. We are already spiritual by nature, but we are in a particular vehicle called human life. But it's not about having the vehicle, but also behaving as such. Because you can have a human body, but you can behave in pretty inhuman ways. In fact, the, the word inhuman, you will only apply it to humans to people in human because you won't say hum inhuman to an animal no? such the lion was so inhuman how he treated the poor deer or that cat was so inhuman with the mouse you will never say that you only say the word inhuman to someone in human vehicle <laughs> so that shows that having the vehicle that does, war that does not warranty that you are properly honoring what that vehicle is about so our potential is to be fully human and to be fully divine. As Krishna is fully human and fully divine in our own way, that's our ultimate potential, to participate in Lila, to be fully human and to be fully divine. Of course, in the conditioned state, we may be neither of both. In the conditioned state, we may not be very aware of who we are as divine, as spiritual beings. We may not be aware of, of our potential in bhakti, spiritually. And we may not be very human either. Sometimes that happens. So the challenge in bhakti is both. Be fully human, be fully divine. Not only be fully transcendental and becoming human in trying to be transcendental, because that happened a few times. Sometimes we understand being transcendental to be, I don't know, evasive, insensitive, uh, spiritual bypassing, no? So, so that's a very interesting idea. <clears throat> we are humans and the scriptures, of course, they are praising humanity constantly <clears throat> about, as the ideal form, the ideal platform from which we can attain the heights of transcendence. Uh, but, for example, Vedanta Sutta Brahma Jignasa, you have this human form, 
try to make good use of that so you can attain, you can inquire into the absolute, inquire into your own nature as well. And the human form is very interesting because in the human life, that's basically the only situation in which you, in which you can be aware of yourself, aware of your own existence. You follow because an, an animal is not aware I exist. They are just like following their, so to say, survival instincts. But it's not that the cat will be like, I am, I think. It don't, doesn't have this sense of I. It's not having an existential crisis like we will have. No, who am I? What's the purpose of life? You won't see like a, a lack of meaning. Sorry, doesn't have a lack. Yeah, yeah. So they are not experiencing this type of purposelessness or something. They are just in you know, the first level, speaking in the spiral dynamics, right? <laughs> Anamaya, if you want to put it in Sanskrit, no? Like survival instincts, food, shelter, reproduction. So, and, in, and, in, and if, a, if, if, if a human soul points to Brahman, for example, and enters into that merging, you are also not aware of your own existence as a separate individual. So we could say that the only privileged position in which that happens is where we are now, basically. Mm -hmm. And not only we can think about who we are, but a very uniqueness of our human form is we can think about our potential. Not only who am I, but what's all that I can be, as we talk these days. No? So we are something, but we have a potential to become so much more in bhakti. Whatever exists, exists along with its potential. So we have to consider whatever exists in terms of potential. Not only you are this, but you can be all that. Like Srila Siddhar Maharaj will say once very beautifully, your future is brilliant. Imagine imagine being sitting in front of Srila Siddhar Maharaj and he will look at you and will point and say, your future is brilliant. So you must believe him. I mean, he must be seeing something we may be very expert in saying, no, no, my future is not brilliant. I'm a mess. There's nothing good about me. <laughs> we are pretty, very much pretty convinced about our own darkness. <laughs> but the sadhus will like go, go through that and show us there is a brilliant future. So, of course, this ultimate potential as in our present human condition, of course, has to do with attaining the fullness of divinity, the fullness of our potential in bhakti. But the question is, what happens with our humanity? Again, we now are human sadhakas. Are we to reject our humanity so we attain our ultimate potential? Or there will be a place for humanity in transcendence, a fully spiritualized humanity. So again, we, we hear verses in Shastra, I would say, the human body's perfect vehicle is like a boat to cross the ocean of samsara. And so many like analogies are there to praising the human form as a means 
to a goal. Uh, but the point is, is we may question ourselves, maybe there is also a place for conceiving the human form, not only as a means, but as part of our goal. Because again, in our ultimate goal, we'll, we'll be in our lila. And for participating in our lila, you will need a fully human, fully divine form. So in, in, our, in other words, our goal is not to stop being human, but to become fully human. Now we are not fully human, and that's why when I maybe say the word human, we may feel like, no, that's not that's not the idea. Uh, every time I say human, I'm talking about being fully human. And until and unless we get there, we won't maybe fully understand what we are trying to, to say here. Mm -hmm. And this is something also interesting that who we are as an atma, as a soul, if you want to use that word, as consciousness, the atma is not human. No? The soul is not human. Consciousness is not human. No? Because in other species, plant life, animals, mineral life, there is atma and it's not human. So this, this is important. But at the same time, in bhakti, we have the potential to exist in eternity in a human form, fully human, fully divine. So although our atma is not human, if the atman embraces bhakti, the potential of the atma will express itself in lila in a human, fully human, fully divine form which is required to participate in the Lila. In, in other words, at present, we may be thinking about humanity in terms of our physical, psychic dimensions. But in our ultimate Gaudiya reality, humanness will become, will become part of our eternal identity in the Lila. You follow? Well, it's too tricky. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Today's topic is more like squeezing your. Can you explain I'm trying to do it as simple as I can. Sorry. What's what's not fully clear? Well, what, what I understand is uh, if um, the the atma, which is. Um, Perfect. Uh, device is a uh, property. Um, then there is the possibility to be in your with your, your human form somehow in a trans transcendental um, um, area. That's what I understood. You understood correctly. Ah, because <laughs> you made so so it was so huge around, and I thought maybe I. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, yeah. The atma, yeah, the atma is not human by nature. It's not the human atma. The atma is atma, and that's why an atma can go to again Brahman and remain there, not as a human. But if an atma takes shelter in bhakti, in this particular current of bhakti that we embrace we will be infused by certain influence of this sort of shakti of bhakti 
that eventually will give rise to a spiritual identity to participate in the lila. And since the lila is not a lila, fully human, fully divine, our identity, spiritual body, spiritual mind, spiritual senses will be all fully human, fully divine. Yeah. So that has to do with the Atma and the potential of the Atma in Bhakti. So I make main mention in this point because I think it's important. We may have our conception of God intellectually, which is okay, there's place for that, but also humanity has to be in place, not only in the divine, but in ourselves as well. Because, and this goes more to the practical sense side of this sadhaka, us as practitioners, if our humanity is not in place, it will be diffi more difficult to relate to Krishna because Krishna is fully human and fully divine. So if our humanity is, is somehow like disjointed, <laughs> uh, that will be an obstacle in properly understanding what's Naralila. Um, we may project our dysfunctional humanity here to something that somehow resembles human experience, so to say. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, no? uh, I've heard a few times, or I've seen more than a few times, devotees thinking in terms more of rejecting. No? I practice spiritual life, so what do we, what do we, what do you do in, in your spiritual life? And mostly they re reply saying what they don't do. No? What do you do? I don't do this. I don't do this. No? No meat eating, no intoxication, no gambling, no this. Okay, but what do you do? I don't do this and I don't do this. So we may develop this conception of spirituality as rejecting stuff, evasiveness, instead of integrating, no? instead of embracing. Because for us, in transcendence is integrating all the layers of existence. Uh, we don't need to reject the physical, the mental, the emotional, the psychological, the financial, the, the anything, even the sexual, as we were talking the other day. Everything have, can be properly expressed, integrated in different ways according to each particular person. But there is no need to reject anything. That's like the Abju Rupa Goswami of Jukta Vairagya. He's saying proper renunciation means to understand that everything is related to Krishna. So therefore, you will on, the only thing you need to renounce to is the wrong vision that something is not related to Krishna. That's the only thing you need to renounce. But when you understand everything is connected to Krishna, then you realize, I don't need to reject anything. The only thing I need to reject is certain lens through which I'm seeing things disconnected from Krishna. Mm -hmm. So real transcendence for us as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, understanding this idea of Jukta Vairagya, uh, is no need to to, re to reject anything again. Mm -hmm. 
And what we need to transcend, actually we mean we need to integrate, we need to properly embrace and not to avoid. There's nothing to avoid. Everything is, we need to learn how to properly integrate into the greater equation of bhakti or yukta vairagya. I'd like to share one quote that I share in my book from Sadhananda Swami. You give me permission. Krishna Chandra will translate. Yes. And to Premamai, the pages 190 and 91. What means? 190 and 190. Yes. So, this one letter to Walter Eilitz, to Vamandas from Sadhana. So, he says, says a complete acceptance of oneself be it as a be it as a righteous orderly citizen a criminal or a saint with all consequences this complete acceptance is the sole prerequisite for a man to be able to lead a life as himself and then really be able to dedicate his life to God. One can only wish to be what one really is. And to have the courage to do so, that's very rare. It all starts with being who and what one is. Only then, only then one can be and become joyful. To force oneself into wearing spiritual uniform, uniform cannot be anything but an attitude Krishna strongly rejects in the Bhagavatam. If one believes one has to be something special, and demands too much of oneself, it will lead to self-inflicted stress, violence against oneself, and despair, because one has not attained one's goal, and has gotten into a pointless fight of the self against the other self. One can help one's fellow being to be himself not in a metaphysical transcendent way but simply in a human way with all virtues and vices. Mm. No one should try to jump over his own shadow. 
or make others do this. One must always leave room for the other to be who he is. Freedom always means freedom for the other. Otherwise, it is no freedom. Why God wants us to be just as free as he is? He does not want any slaves. So now, some quote from Sadananda Swami in connection to the importance of, to begin with, giving ourselves permission to be who we are, whatever we, whatever we are now, so to say, whatever we conceive of ourselves. And from that foundation of acceptance, going deeper and deeper into our ultimate sense of identity. So in, in my book, I try to, I, I wrote a few chapters in connection to the importance of developing our humanity. I, I wrote some book, some chapters on vulnerability, uh, on individuation, as we have been talking these days. Uh, we have been talking these days about the importance of psycho-emotional balance. We may call it sattva. Scriptures repeatedly say sattva is an ideal platform to try to make a quantum leap into transcendence. Because if sattva is not there, we may just address God with all our unresolved human issues and just see him in terms of being a solver of that. But if we work on balancing our humanity and accepting our humanity and being balanced and not in denial of that, then we can approach Bhagavan in a more whole way, in a more realistic way. So we have talked also these days about the importance of making peace with matter. No, it's not that material energy is bad. It's not that Maya Shakti is against us, like a shadow who is trying, like a, sh not shadow, sort of like a witch, witch devil that is trying to make us fall, that is enjoying our, whatever, illusion. Seduce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a seducer. Yeah, exactly. So the, some projection of the Satan, Christian Satan idea of someone competing against God. No, no, Maya Shakti is a servant of Bhagavan. As we say, we're probably serving him more better than how we are serving. <laughs> so on that basis, we talk about how we don't need to condemn or reject this body, this world. Uh, emotional intimacy, everything exists for some particular reason. Even as we were talking these days, there is place for imperfection. It's not that everything has to be perfect. Perfection is more a demand of the ego. Imperfection is an invitation for unconditional love. So although Krishna Lila in one sense is perfect, in another sense it shows so much imperfection <laughs> in, in a transcendental way. 
to show how unconditional love doesn't care for imperfection. There's so much frailty, there's so much neediness as we talk these days. God is in need, God is frail, God is vulnerable, and that's not a fault. On the contrary, that's a great blessing. If everything is very perfect, very super powerful, very tupaka, that's boring. There's this Jewish quote or koan, like a koan, like a very like riddle that says, what's lacking in a person who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent? What's lacking in that person? That's like a, it's a question. No? Omni, say it again. What was the first? What's lacking in, in the yeah. three omnis that yeah. generally are ascribed to God? Omnipresence, omnipotency, and omni omniscience. Yeah, all knowing. So what's lacking? And they will say all loving. It's present there somehow. <laughs> and the, the point of the question is limitation is lacking, <laughs> and and that creates its own. Limitation. So Bhagavan shows limitation in the context of him being unlimited. Like we say, Krishna is tied by Jasoda. That's overtly limiting. He's been, but he's tied, but his love experience with Jasoda is increasing. So even limitation is facilitating love in the Lila. That's how it works. Very paradoxical. So this is an important point that being human. Fully human as much as we can is not a problem. And God Himself is not a problem. Actually, it provides a very special charm. When I was in, in the United States, I came to know maybe here it's it's also here, but in the United States they have the famous comic of Superman. I think everyone knows Superman for better or for worse, but <laughs> The Superman, when it, it began, which was kind of, I don't know, a century ago, the comic series written, he was Superman. I mean, the, no, the name says it all. He was Superman. So he was invulnerable. He was not vulnerable. He was invulnerable. He was defeating everyone, killing everyone. Nothing will kill him. Nothing will harm him. Nothing will... No, he will defeat everyone, like, easily. So after a few months... In the beginning, everyone was excited with the series just because it was something new. But after a few months, people started to get bored because he was too perfect. He was too invulnerable, too invincible. So people couldn't relate at all because my experience has nothing to do with that. So there's no point of empathy. So all the sales started to, to go down. So the people from the series were very creative, and this speaks about the intuition. He said, let's make Superman vulnerable. So they added this kryptonite, green kryptonite, that could weaken him or even kill him, potentially. So when that appeared and Superman was made not so Superman, but a little bit more human, everyone started reading it again. Sales went up to the sky. <laughs> Like showing there is a charm in vulnerability, in potential. Those things can be charming and attractive, can help us to relate to that reality. So this was 
what this guest told me here Ananda Dab, no? Oh, the, the way you were sharing what's going on in God's heart and his necessities and his vulnerability. Oh, that helped me relate to that so much. I can identify with that on some level. Again, she was clear it's not the same, but it was similar enough as to, oh, I'm attracted to that, basically. And before concluding also, a few more thoughts, if you allow me. One of them is like bhakti is so powerful that it comes to our life. And it, as we talked yesterday in Hardest Thakur's Tiruba, bhakti enters one's life and it spiritualizes everything. It spiritualizes our body, it spiritualizes our empiric character, our, our personality, our mind. So it is say that that spiritualized physical subtle body we will that will accompany us into eternity so in this particular lifetime let's say like this an atma in a particular body in this lifetime due to material some scars <laughs> you acquire develop a certain personality which in one sense is not your swarup as an atma, but you have a certain, each of us have a certain personality, which is a result of, in part, experiences we have, places we were born, culture, uh, especially childhood situations. But life after life, that will change. No? So it's not every single life we have had the exact same personality we have in this life. But <laughs> if in, in, in this lifetime, let's say, just hypothetically, you have a certain personality, which is the result of material samskars, but bhakti comes into your life fully, let's say, it fully spiritualizes your personality. In that, in a similar personality to that one, you will exist eternally. That's mentioned in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 134. It's not Padmanava Swami Sutras, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. Bhakti is independent on all mental functions, but when it comes, it enters and it becomes one with our subtle body, so to say. So, and that's what allows a different devotees have different personalities, of course. No? Yes. The last one? Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 134. So this is a verse that is speaking about Bhava Bhakti. So this verse is that when Bhava Bhakti manifests, it manifests in the mind and it affects all our mental functions, all the subtle body, what we will say is our personality, you know, the samskars acquired that make us have a certain personality. And this Baba Bhakti enters there, fully spiritualizes all our subtle body, basically, and becomes one with that, so to say. So if you in this lifetime have a certain personality, of course, if there are some certain things which are extremely anti-Bhakti, <laughs> those things won't remain. That thing has to be pure. But there are certain aspects of the personality of a devotee which just need to be spiritualized by bhakti and, and that person in that particular personality will exist forever each person each devotee has their own personality 
even if something someone is a little bit like i don't know i know a few i know a few very advanced devotees who are a little grumpy for example grumpy you know it's grumpy no but there are pure devotees so there's pure bhakti and there is some grumpiness there which if there will be bhakti maybe it's like i don't like that guy but if it's such a pure devotee, that grumpiness is like an ornament it's adding some like charm some taste no so again that's my point some elements from our previous empiric character remain while being a pure devotee but now it expresses from a totally different place mm -hmm. so this in connection to today's topic and mentioning no our, our humanity uh, there's a humanity here we are human sadhakas we are spiritualizing our humanity so it becomes fully human, fully divine. So it's in one sense, it's all about humanity from now up to the Nara Lila. Different experiences of that, but it's not that it's not about at some point rejecting the human experience. And again, the only way to reach the fully human, fully divine experience in the Lila is starting here by okay what do i do with my humanity now i have human body human my i'm in a human experience how how do i f allow myself to be fully human in bhakti so my humanity is fully spiritualized and in in that human experience i can serve in transcendence so that's what's shown in the lila just to conclude humanity and transcendence they have the potential to coexist in a per in perfect harmony. They are not at conflict with one another. Mm -hmm. and, and, and Krishna himself comes here, interestingly, comes to planet Earth with his associate, with his Lila, repeatedly to, to validate these points, I will say, to validate humanity. Mm -hmm. Because as we mentioned many times, Krishna comes and executes his Lila on Earth, Bhoma Lila. When that Lila finishes, he starts again the Lila in another planet Earth. When that Lila finishes, he starts the Lila in another planet Earth. So he's eternally on planet Earth, executing his Lila. So there must be something good about being fully human, fully divine, even on planet Earth. So just to conclude, <clears throat> we already mentioned but just recap that idea krishna lila is fully human fully divine gore lila is fully human fully divine mm -hmm. and for us to participate there we should become fully human and fully divine mm -hmm. including all these qualities of humanness vulnerability mm -hmm. individuation mm -hmm. neediness because if we are not allowing those things in our lives in one sense we are not allowing Krishna Lila in our lives because in, in its own way Krishna Lila is full of those attributes if we are not allowing our fully full humanity we are not allowing Krishna in our lives because he is fully human so if we are not allowing ourselves to be who we actually are we are not allowing Krishna to be who he actually is in our lives. And sometimes we maybe project some distorted form of his. 
One short paragraph, and with this, I'm concluding. If you give me permission, and of course, if there are questions or something. Can I read this paragraph and then we go to the questions? Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So what do I, what do I want to read here? <laughs> uh, I'm figuring that out myself. One second. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, yeah, this is what I want to read. Page 176. So it says, something that I already mentioned, but just to recap and conclude. Unfortunately, our humanity, with its physical, mental, and emotional dimensions, is sometimes presented in Gaudiya circles as an, as an obstacle to be transcended, that is rejected. But we should be reminded from our previous chapter on vulnerability how the limitations and imperfections ascribed to humanness if properly dealt with can add charm and beauty not only to ourselves but even to God himself and we can offer such humanness in divine service now when fully spiritualized, our humanness can express itself in Lila for the rest of forever. Considering such a prospect, our human dimension is not negotiable. negotiable. And it is certainly not an ontological universal obstacle. Of course, humanity, like everything, has a very dark potential if, in, if improperly handled. But a very bright one as well. In this way, we need to be anthropologically astute. Astute means? Astute to be like smart, like clever, clever. So I'm very smart in how we choose to coexist with our humanity. While integrating each layer of complexity. Of course, this does not mean that we need to perfectly individuate every pore of our being. Before attaining the spiritual realm. But it doesn't imply its opposite either. In the same way as we should not, sorry, 
just just as we should not overemphasize preliminary psychic perfection oder deswegen sollten wir auch nicht ähm, eine überbetonung machen von vorläufigen menschlichen perfektion as an obligatory perfektion as an obligatory prerequisite to devotional attainment als ein äh, obligatorische vor Similarly, we should neither totally dismiss our human dimension as irrelevant. But we should do the needful as we perceive the need to do so. Mm. Questions? Who's first? Maybe I didn't understand right, or maybe I hang inside. This, um, that you said. That the subtle the subtle aspect of our being can be spiritualized. The subtle aspect of the body can be spiritualized. That it will be part of the eternal swarup. Have I understood it right? This is in, in relation to the Bhakti Rasamita Sindhu quote. What I hang inside, how I understood it, the, the, the eternal swarup has really nothing to do with a gross and subtle body. That is more that if you go on an inner path, but the swarup, you know, starts to be tangible and shining through, and even through the gross and subtle body who are still here but really inside has nothing to do and i would like to hear from both of you <laughs> i'll say something brief yeah my, my main point was that we are an atma but we are accompanied by gross body and a subtle body so Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is mentioning here is Bhakti comes to our life and spiritualizes our existence. We talked about that yesterday also. Remember when we shared that Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur was speaking about the Sadaka Deha and the spiritualization of that. So when a Sadaka reaches the point of Prem or Divine Love here, so to say, this physical subtle body is fully spiritualized. So I'm not saying that in that same physical body one is going to Golok Vrindavan. No, because I mean the body you can we will see that eventually will the worms will the worms will do their job, let's say. <laughs> but since that body here and mine and all subtle and gross forms were fully affected by bhakti it is described in our tradition that 
eternal sarup will manifest with qualities that resemble those qualities that one had as a sadaka physically and mentally. But that's a roof that will accompany, that we will be in eternity. It's eternal. This roof is, I mean, but it will manifest correspondingly. Can you repeat that last sentence? Okay. So I was saying that here as a sadhakas, we can be fully spiritualized, mind, body, chitta, all these ingredients. And when one leaves the body in that prem stage, let's say, stage of prem, the body, physical body, even if it's fully spiritualized, of course, is here. Although, if you want to take some exception to the rule, let me go there. You have the example of Dhruva Maharaj. I don't know if you have heard that, but in Dhruva Maharaj in the Bhagavatam, it is said that he entered by Kunta in the same body he was here. That's more like an exception to the rule, I will say. But that's in the Bhagavatam. He didn't left his body. He just, in his body, entered by Kunta. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, when one leaves this body, since that body was fully spiritualized, that chitta, that mind, that personality, there will be a manifestation in, in the spiritual world of a particular identity which will have that resemblance in body and mind and personality. But that's totally constituted of Swarup Shakti. So it's not that we will be entering again, although Dhruva did that. <laughs> so then I misunderstood the question. Sorry. Yeah. It's not that we then in this spiritualized body we enter eternity. The interaction, that qualities that we attain through material samskaras um, from the subtle body and the gross body, that they have some connection with the Swarup or stand in any connection with the Swarup. This yeah. is the point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will say that the point here is how we are thinking now of this Swarup. Because we maybe think, okay, this Swarup is like a, already it's like a coat hanging on the log Vrindavan waiting for me to enter and like wear it or something. And there are differences of opinion in our tradition about that. <laughs> yeah, I talk about that in my first book. Uh, so what I mentioned from my perspective, for, from what I learned in that connection is that this Swarup Shakti exists, but also Swarup Shakti has potential. As we have potential, also there is potential in Swarup Shakti. So in the potential of the Swarup Shakti, different Swarups will manifest. They're not created out of nothing, there exists in potential in this sort of shakti. So when a sadhaka in this world achieves that particular stage of bhava or prem, there will be a corresponding manifestation, this sort of shakti of a sarup that corresponds with that. So yes, maybe the sadhaka develops some sense of personality due to material samskars, 
but bhakti is so powerful that will penetrate all that personality and make it completely fit for eternity. That for me is a very deep glorification of the power of bhakti. So that will be my reply, but you ask also Krishna Chandra to, to also say something. So please, Krishna Chandra Prabhu. And I'm totally ready that we may have a difference of opinion, of course, no? with Krishna Chandra, with any of you. I mean, I'm not coming to Ananda Dam hoping that we will agree on everything. That will be so boring, please. So I want some masala today. <laughs> Discussed a few times this principle of Swabhav Dosh. You mentioned it also. We mentioned a few times this principle of Swabhav Dosh. You, you mentioned it that some bhaktas, they may be pure devotees, but they have some qualities due to previous conditioning here, and it can be spiritualized, like you said, the grumpiness. We mentioned sometimes Bhakti Puri Maharaj as an example. Uh, <laughs> I've had personal experience with that. Yeah, yeah, I also. <laughs> it's, it's sweet, you know, there's maybe other examples. But um, this Swabhav Dosh, what I understand is, has nothing to do really with the Swarup. It's a a conditioned nature that I acquired on a subtle body. And this is the vehicle I'm doing sadhana here, but it has nothing to do with the Swarup. And I would not say that this soul in the eternal Leela as a gopi might have some grumpiness because it's acquired here. You know, it would be a little strange, but it's an interesting thing that I see. Swabhav dosh. Rupa Goswami mentions it in Upadeshamrita. Swapu dosh and Swabhav dosh. There is, you know, even perfected beings, they may become sick and have, but don't mind, he says. You know, and they might have some strange traces in their character still don't, see don't mind don't take distance take association with such souls in the same way as you go to take a bath in the ganga and you put the corpses away that are swimming around you know and you take your bath in ganga so <clears throat> this is my thing and this verse I remember, and my guru, they spoke quite some often about this version, Bhakti Rasamita Sindhu, that the tendency that in Swarup Shakti, as in Bhava Bhakti, when a soul gets in connection with Bhava Bhakti, then really there is, a, I think it's even the word Tadatma. Tadatmya, yeah. The, the tendencies of the chitta, of the conditioned natures, become like one with the vritti of bhakti. Mm -hmm. yeah, the iron bar example. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fire. <laughs> so, and 
what I understood, this is the point where the soul is not making an endeavor. It's no, then bhakti doesn't become buddhi um, purvaka or indriya prairana. Doesn't become an endeavor of the intelligence. Like sometimes now, we know, oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. It would be really nice to get up and chant. But it's not that the whole body and the mind says, yes! <laughs> so, but it's like, you know, it's said, oh, no, 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 actually, I don't want. But the buddhi is coming and says, it will be really good for you. So, and then when he's doing it, and maybe most of the things we do at now at our stage is from that stage. Because the tendencies didn't become completely one. But I, I didn't understood that there will be um, some part of the subtle body or some elements that were ever in the subtle body that they will have any tinge in the swarup. Mm -hmm. You know, so it will be. What I can feel that they may be. You know, through realization, some aspect of the Swarup really awakening, and in the subtle body, some aspect of the spiritual form may be reflected there. But in, in its very pure form. So it doesn't, if you know, my Swarup is a gopi, it doesn't mean that I act as a gopi here. Mm -hmm. This will be Seva Sadakarupa and it will mm -hmm. not fit. But they might awakening some sweetness in the in the human that is pervaded. Like really a transcendental realization is pervading my being here. But, you know, I, it's interesting and we can make some research uh, more and it's wonderful. Well, that, I mean, we are talking about the word from a certain context because each of these words have different meanings depending on in which context they appear. I, I clarify that because that's a lot happens a lot with Sanskrit that even I'm saying Atma and Atma depending the context can mean mind, body, soul, Krishna. So we say Swarup and we may take for it as a given oh Swarup means that. But depending on which context may be different mean different things. So here Swarup we are talking about one's uh, spiritual identity, let's say. In, in brief words, no? to not make it too complicated. No, Swarup, like one's own. Swarup sometimes also can mean one's form. No? Swarup, so one's own, you could say in this connection, one's eternal form in eternity. One's identity, spiritual identity, which includes spiritual form in eternity. That will be a way to describe Swarup in this, in the context of our conversation now. Yeah. I was just wondering where where this turning point or transformation can happen if you 
um, mm -hmm. as you read in the book, in that letter to Walter Eidlitz, or also as you first explained how it's important to integrate everything in your life and accept where you are. And I made a little joke to Jonathan then said, oh, you can keep smoking joints, then it's all okay. Or, I mean, that's maybe not even such a terrible thing as we heard Prabhupada was even allowing the hippies to offer it to Krishna. But I mean, there could be things that are yeah, quite opposite to Bhakti, yeah, yeah, you know. And if there's always acceptance and integrating, like in a very extreme way, people are even enjoying being cruel to animals and just say, well, I just enjoy torturing animals. It's, you know, I mean, that's now very extreme, but or saying, well, I mean, yeah, I'm, I just like my bottle of vodka every day. I just accept, I'm just being nice to myself. I'm not, trying to push it away it's just or yeah i like sleeping in the morning why why getting up at three that's okay i can sleep every day until 10 and it's okay I'm, it's just the way i am you know so where's the point where is it like krishna chana said the, as bhakti comes in more and more then maybe hopefully paramatma or the buddhi is giving you hints well maybe it's better to reduce the bottle of vodka to one glass and maybe you can chant a bit more focused and eventually it will go away by itself so you don't force but the power of bhakti will you know eventually make it go or is there a little bit still of responsibility as a human also think, well yeah maybe it's better if i don't torture animals and don't eat them maybe this could be helpful as a human being to be more human if i reject certain things in my life but mm -hmm. so i i don't quite get where this point of transformation is happening when you yeah integrate everything and accept everything mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for the question. Of course, that, the reply to your question is it will depend on each person. Like we find, I don't know, with Narad Muni and, and Regari, for example, he didn't say stop being a hunter because he thought he knew that will be too much for him. Eventually, he will stop being a hunter, but first he told him, you know, we know, he told him, kill them completely, don't kill them half. You are torturing them. That's not good. Kill them. Again, that's not an instruction that he will give to anyone else. Just totally specific to each situation. So for him, killing the animals and not torturing them was the lesson of the day, so to say. Of course, by the association with Nara and the mantras you mentioned, he, regarding himself, became so enlightened that next time Nara came, he was just walking without trying to step onto an end. So Bhakti took him to that natural realization. So when I was saying we have to integrate, I was not, of course, thinking about extreme things. You know, like, okay, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a murderer. So I will integrate that into Bhakti killing demons for Krishna, or no, whatever, no? I was not referring to, to those type of things because, as you mentioned, there are things Anukulyasa, Sankalpa, Pratikulyasa, Varjana. There are things that are favorable for Bhakti, there are things that are unfavorable. Of course, in the beginning, we may not know which those things are, and you may have your bottle of vodka and think, I'm okay with that. But as 
one gets exposed to bhakti, one starts to realize, oh, there are things that will help. You know, your your discernment starts to be nourished with some criterion, and on that basis, you gradually start to. Okay, I should avoid this. I should do this, and so in that sense, that that criterion is going on in the process for each devotee. So in that sense, there is a place for rejection. You know? By integration, I'm, I was not implying just like everything has to. Okay, I like to again eat rats. <laughs> I'll integrate that. I'll offer the rat to Krishna. No, that, that, that's that was not my point. No. My point was that certain aspects of our human experience, they don't need to be rejected. No? Some experiences we need to go through, they need to, I mean, they're not necessarily bad. They can be, they have their place in bhakti. There are some things, extreme ones, that they don't have their place in bhakti. But there are a few others that have. So where to draw the line? That will depend each case, again. For some people, drawing the line will be kill the animals completely and don't have killed them. <laughs> For other people, the line will be way higher. So it's it's important to keep it personalized and, and yeah, one requires personal guidance and personal honesty and sincerity to draw that line, which may be moving constantly also. No? Because, okay, my line today is here, tomorrow is no longer here. It's constantly evolving so we should keep up with that as well yeah. so yeah stop taking vodka if possible <laughs> we'll we'll visit each room today and if there is any bottle of vodka with your permission we'll be taking it away from you <laughs> yeah. that will be a big fire for sure <laughs> So maybe one can say sorry. just an additional question yeah. to her that each um, tendency in human nature can be like traced back, mm -hmm. really traced yeah. at its origin, yeah. and we will find. Uh, like a longing towards Radha and Krishna. Now it expresses itself in a human tendency, but really in the deepest, mm -hmm. it's the natural longing of the soul for Radha and Krishna. Like we gave many times here, an example from Yoga Sutra in Vyasadeva's commentary, where he says, you know, we have a tendency to acquire things, besides to possession. Mm. And now the spiritual traditions come and they no, no, you should live simple. Mm -hmm. And then there is a certain tension coming between the traditions and the, the tendency in human nature. Mm -hmm. And by this tension, a person cannot grow, but normally has a, by tension, it goes to the surface. You cannot really enter an inner path. Mm -hmm. So this is not a very wise thing, but if you uh, trace it at its origin, what is this tendency to acquire things and get possessions? What it's really looking for? And Vyasadeva says, it's looking for peace. Because there's an idea, when I have everything, 
then finally I have peace. Mm -hmm. But it will not happen. Actually, you look for something different. Would you uh, agree with that? Or that, that every human tendency can be traced back as a really, you know, a transcendental longing? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. In fact, now that you mentioned that, thank you for that, because that reminded me, I, I was thinking about something when you were making the question, Shanti, and I did mention in my reply to you, which was like, for example, you were giving the example of someone drinking a bottle of vodka per day in connection to what you said. <coughs> and a way of integrating that, you know, for me, will be traced back why I'm drinking vodka. No? In connection to your point, tracing back, like, actually, okay, I, I like to drink vodka. Okay, why you like to drink vodka? What do you experience by doing that? No? What's behind that? What you are searching for, actually, in, in that bottle? And ultimately, the ultimate re answer to that question will converge into our source, the center. Of course, we may get to many other layers of answers gradually as we get closer and closer to the ultimate answer and that may be a process to process of integration of that so yeah i, I connect your 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 answer to, to that point it's important to always yeah to not get very not be very quick and saying oh that's me that's what i like that's that's who i am stop don't go beyond no 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 let's try to <laughs> trace back and what's behind that there is a need there is something unresolved there is something unacknowledged there is so go deeper and deeper and deeper and of course the ultimate converging point of that tracing back will be our beloved so to say yeah okay one last question so because it's almost one it's more than one so yeah Numbing. Numbing, and I make myself dull. And for me, it's quite difficult to go into sattva. And I feel like um, I realize that I get guilt feelings when I go into sattva. I think like, oh no, then I'm, uh, yeah, I'm insulting my parents or whatever. It's not good. I'm not allowed to go to sattva. And then I always like it's more easier to number myself than to go into sattva. So uh, and I also see it's quite difficult and challenging to go to make the mind sattvic. And yeah, can you say something about this? <laughs> How to really make um, make the effort to go into sattva? Mm. Just a translation. Also, I merke, also bei mir, dass ich sehr unruhiger Geist habe und wie ich mit dem gehe und das ist auch schmerzhaft. 
stuff on the Louis cage, and it's also painful experience to have this. And what I like is that I in a tamastische Richtung gehe, dass ich einfach so ein wie stumpf werde und einfach immer wieder so Phasen habe, wo ich einfach recht stumpf bin und inaktiv bin. Also inactivity and dumb, numbing. Und was, und ich merke, es ist sehr schwierig, also Geistesruhe im Sattva zu finden. Es ist einfacher, Geistesruhe im Tamas zu finden, aber da gibt es keine Entwicklung. Und das schuld ist Tamas and feel peaceful, then go into Sattva. And both Tamas and Sattva are similar. They look similar. They look very similar. Und es gibt eine Änderung zwischen Tamas und Sattva. Kannst du das noch mit dem Schuldig fühlen nochmal sagen? Das habe ich nicht checkt, wie du das gemeint Aha. hast. Wieso du dich schuldig fühlst, wenn du es... Ah, genau, das ist aber so eine persönliche Geschichte. Okay. Also, okay. Das ist nicht, ist nicht relevant. Aber schuldig, dass ich einfach wie gemerkt habe, wie ja, ich tue meinen Eltern zum Beispiel Unrecht, wenn ich sattwisch werde. Und dann, wenn ich thematisch bleibe, dann merke ich, wie, ja, ich bleibe gefunden bei denen. Das ah. hat eigentlich like a, a state of clear a clarity in the mind yeah. camera is pointing at you <laughs> thank you Mohini I think it's relevant for everyone And maybe we it's maybe an interesting point in one spiritual life that the very first shelter that is offered is not that what really leads to a higher place. I just remember when Gopakumar goes back to the eternal world, you know, from each and every dimension in the universe, all the devas, they offer him shelter. You can come here, you have everything. And he's just making, no. No, I have a deeper longing. And I think it's a part of the freedom God gives us to offer an extreme variety of things. And sometimes the most comfortable things, is not really the call of the soul. <laughs> but are, like Mohini said, leaning towards Thomas. So, and maybe it's a, a very powerful um, thing to be in an intense spiritual association that one is like going over a tendency that I would normally have. Because everyone would have that. But in Sangha, one knows 
I want to be a little, I really want to be truthful to the soul and not to a conditioned nature. And like that, it's not the first and most comfortable refuge that I will immediately take. And the first and most comfortable refuge is always Thomas. So, but I know Thomas has a tendency also to make it worse. Each time I take shelter, it gets worse. It becomes more thick. Linda and Andres. So, Maharaj, maybe can you elaborate? On the you were still. It's just, I just finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, it's, I appreciate what <clears throat> Krishna Chandra mentions that Sattva has its price, so to say. Uh -huh. right? It's not just like I. I as you mentioned, it's not that we generally turn to that in, a, in the most spontaneous way, like I oh, just go towards sattva naturally, spontaneous. It's a, it requires lots of <clears throat> of discernment and determination and efforts. It's, it's not that just I happen to be in sattva, so to say. It's a result of of a very diligent, uh, daily, sustainable efforts and again using the discernment that knowing okay although thomas may look similar uh, i may feel like oh it also gives me peace it's just a quote-unquote peace because as krishna channel mentioned it's like a snowball effect where thomas becomes more thomas no, it's not like the deeper I go to Thomas, I end up being in Satwa. No, you try if you want. Better don't try. But we have already tried so many times. So I think we also have our own experience to refer back to and, and, and know how these three gunas operate. Uh, and as the Gita says, no? So of course, in the beginning, Satwa feels like poison. And at the end, it's like nectar. No? So the beginning feels like poison means it requires some change, no? It takes us out of the comfort zone. It's, it's, it's not conforming, like, okay, you are like you are, you keep like that, no need to change for you. That's more thematic. <laughs> no? Like over-identify with who knows what. <laughs> well, Sattva is more challenging. It's inviting us to, to transform, to enter into the realm of transformation and change and, and get a glimpse of who we actually are and, and even when we get in touch with sattva krishna says in the gita sattva two of the main qualities of sattva are knowledge and happiness and he says and as you mentioned also be careful of getting attached to that because if you get addicted so to say to that then that attachment it's already rajas. Rajas is characterized by attachment. 
So if you are in sattva and you get attached to being in sattva, they are immediately debunked to rajas. <laughs> and from there, probably you have more chance to go to tamas and so on. No? So, yeah, that's what comes in this moment. So, again, it's not easy. We are not using the word easy in relation to sattva, but also, as I like to say, we are not using the word impossible. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. But difficult is not impossible. The, the problem is that sometimes we make the word difficult synonymous with impossible. <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned in my book, I say, what's the opposite of what's the opposite of easy? What will you say? What's the opposite of easy? Challenging, Challenging she says. The opposite, the opposite of easy, the extreme opposite of easy. <laughs> No, impossible. impossible. The middle point is difficult. The opposite of easy, something that I can do without effort that comes naturally. The opposite, the opposite, opposite, 180 degrees, it's impossible. But difficult is the middle point. And I mention that because sometimes we make <laughs> we make difficult the, the, the opposite. And we therefore translate difficult as impossible. So every time we hear difficult, it's impossible. But we should understand, no, difficult is the middle point. And we want the middle point. We don't want these extremes. So sattva is difficult, not easy, but not impossible either. <laughs> Just difficult or challenging. And spiritual life is about challenging, growing, changing. so sure if i understood the question and i don't know the details of the personal situation that that becomes more personal and i i would prefer not to publicly go there but but for sure i will say if we have guilt feelings we have to do something with that that's for sure no so again that requires i mean that it's not healthy to have guilt feeling i mean again as i said the other day if you do something extremely bad it may be good that I'm guilt. I feel guilt if I treat Krishna Chandra very badly. It should be healthy that I feel guilty about that. But if we have, <laughs> I no, have yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another personal dimension here. But if we have a type of guilt which is not based on reality, then we need to work on that because that that's practical. That gets in the way of our bhakti in our practice. 
again, I'm speaking generally. Every situation has so many details and nuance. Uh, I wouldn't like to venture now here and give some conclusive thing on something that I don't have too much of an idea. I like that picture that you said before, and I had the picture that it could also, look, in a positive way, look that easy is boring mm. and the impossible is frustrating and the difficult is actually fun because it's interesting. That's the idea. If, yeah, because if there's no challenge in front <laughs> yeah. of us, we, we get yeah. frustrated. Yeah. It's like if you, I don't know, are learning harmonium and you're learning the notes first class, you come to the second class, you already learned the notes. Uh, second class is the same thing. Oh. And you already know how to do that. And you go to third class, the same thing. And you, it's not challenging. It's yeah. not difficult. Yeah. I'm, I'm first, I stopped going to those classes because I'm not receiving any challenges. Yeah. Any difficult. A sustainable challenge, again, not extreme one because that's impossible. Yeah. But we have to be expert to keep ourselves in a healthy space of sustainable challenges i will say not go to the extreme of impossible challenges because we get traumatic frustrated depressed but not to the extreme of complacency a comfort zone where everything is too boring basically so yeah keep the middle path it's not easy but it's not impossible <laughs> so we can stop here and today in the if there are more questions in the afternoon, in the evening, we have Q&A questions and answers, so we continue talking later. Okay, let, let me conclude and we, 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 we share the proposal, yeah. So you said, Chinandan Gaur Hari Ki Jai, Shri Nam Prabhu Ki Jai, Shri Shri Gaur Gadadar Ki Jai, Shri Shri Radha Govinda Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Pramananda Hari Bhavane, Manchakalpata Rubyascha, Pipasandu, Pheva Chapati Tam, Pavane, Vaishnavi, Pyanamo, Ananta Koti Vaishnavi Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Hari Bhavane. Go to the